Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Three Down Greencast is brought to you by the Pile of Bones Brewing Company. New tap room now open at Sass Drive and Cameron in Regina. Welcome to the Three Down Green Castrol Gasson with uh, John Fraser, as usual, as uh, we're back from a bit of a hiatus. And uh, to be completely honest, uh, well, number one, just life kind of got in the way for us a little bit this week. But number two, um, I think it was uh, smart on our behalf to uh, maybe perhaps let uh, our boy here, John Fraser, have a little bit of time to, to come down from the uh, big Blue Bomber Grey Cup victory. And John, I just, I just have My- one thing we've got to get to before we uh, get into kind of the meat of this podcast. So, Yes, Joel. One guy put on pants for the first time in like 20 years. Mm-hmm. Another guy, and uh, for some reason, decided to <laughs> object himself to a 28-year-old can of OV. Oh, it's just, it's <sighs> like, the, the worst thing is in the video, the guy like even notices there's floaties in there. and oh. that, yeah, that, That's not sediment like you find in some beers, no. No, no, that's that's like that's, I that's... I, don't, I I can't wrap my head around this because I don't want to drink like a freshly packaged OV, let alone one that was canned twenty eight years ago. But nonetheless, so no, I'm not asking John what's wrong with the Winnipeg fan base. Um, <laughs> I just need to know since this is apparently the thing Bomber fans are doing, which is weird stuff. Though I still think our buddy who put pants on should have straight stayed strong, kept wearing shorts. But it's true, regardless. John, what incredibly stupid thing did you do when the Bombers won the Great Cup? I got the drunkest I've probably been in at least 15, 16 years. Like, I just, I had no intentions on doing it. All I did was watch the Great Cup at home with my family, my mother, father-in-law, the boys, and Lacey. And I got so blind, blackout drunk, I didn't know which way was up. See, anybody that knows me knows I'm famous for when I get a little bit too drunk and I get the spins, I go, you know what? I'm going to spend some time praying to the porcelain gods here. This time, I did not have an option. I remember the one of the few things I remember is everybody had gone upstairs. I was still watching the postgame coverage as best I could. And I went to put Max to bed, and I woke up from putting Max to bed and just like, okay, oh, no, I bathroom now. So bathroom shower. And I decided that would be an ideal time to walk it out. Not, I'm glad my in-laws were gone. I didn't know if they were or not, but I definitely walked out <laughs> of my shower into my living room, stark-ass naked. Uh, Lacey then questioned me if I had been puking or not because I looked like shit. Uh, I then stumbly and, like, reaffirmed that I had been. 
uh, decided to grab first a Twix bar, lay in my bed, continue watching post-game, and tweet out that I was living my best life. I don't know how he tweeted, because I was so blind drunk, I couldn't text anybody. I went to pick up my phone to text you. I couldn't, I actually couldn't do it. I was that shit-faced. Now, the reason is, this wasn't even, like, a real celebration drunk. This was, like, my beer fridge is there. I'm entirely nervous throughout this entire game, and I just drank the whole time. Uh, And to cap it off, uh, my family had visited recently. We like having mimosas, little Sunday brunch before everybody, you know, catches their flights back to Ontario or Alberta or wherever they are. So I had one of those things of sparkling wine, probably, you know, about 500 milliliters or so left in my fridge that I opened up the minute the bombers had won and proceeded to chug it. That's where my night went off the rails. Oh, and then I had to be up and uh, make an appearance on television the next morning. I'm so amazed you were managed to do that. Uh, I have, I, you know what? Drunk John was very smart. I had my iPhone alarm set about as loud as you could ever get it. (laughs) And I kept like my text notifications on, which I never, like I am famous. My phone, like I shut everything off at night when I go to bed, I left everything on and I woke up. There was a group chat between, uh, CTV Saskatoon anchor, Steph Massacott, uh, Quinn Magnuson, who I was on there with a former writer and bomber. And, and the producer, Blair, and me, and it's just ding, 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 and the alarm went off, and I'm like, the, the group chat was literally, has anybody heard from Fraser? Does anybody think he's alive? Does anybody think he's actually going to be here? <laughs> and I roll over, and I text, 7.30 in the morning, I'm on air at 8.22, I go, I'm good, getting in the shower, see you guys soon. What you, what you um, should have done? You should have just sent the gif of like the Undertaker rising from the dead. That's just what that's just what you should have just said. Just like <laughs> he's dead ass on the mat, and then he just sits up. That's what you should have said. <laughs> um, somebody, what I think Blair might have texted after if I wanted I wanted coffee, and I sent that sponge that dried out picture of SpongeBob that that he's he's like I need water. Um, <laughs> and I sent that, and uh, yeah, somehow made it on TV the next morning after. Uh, also, to add to my debauchery following the Winnipeg Bombers, uh, the Grey Cup, I walked in with uh, two CTV Saskatoon with Quinn, and we're leading down the hallway to where the uh, like the waiting room is, right? And I was, the waiting room doesn't have a door on it. It's open. And I'm talking very loudly about how shit-faced I was, how <laughs> shitty I still felt this morning. And uh, we come in, and unbeknownst to me, the guest before Quinn and I on CTV Saskatoon that morning was Troy Cooper, the chief of police for Saskatoon. Oh, cool. So I'm, like, talking and and kind of giving, like, Troy's, like, he strikes me as a pretty serious guy. And he's kind of giving me, like, the serious, like, okay, where were you? So I made a point to tell Quinn I was just at my house with my family the whole night. Uh, And then, you know, backed off on the I got so incredibly drunk, I felt like I was, like, 16 again. So um, that is my Super Bomber Grey Cup story. Uh, And now here, as I record this in my bedroom, I have a sudden craving for another Twix bar. (laughs) <laughs> so i guess the other reason why we kind of delayed this is uh as you know we uh like to enjoy a beer in case of john's case two or three sometimes during this podcast oh yeah and if you've ever been to great cop obviously john you have um yes it's 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 a long journey through it all oh, and God. Uh, it is not a sprint no and i needed i definitely needed a few days to uh, relax and kind of detox after the uh, football reporters of canada suite for the most part um 
So yeah, that's pretty much why the biggest reason why we decided like, well, let's push this off a little bit, and then Thursday we're gonna do it. And you got caught late working, and it's 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 all good though. We're we're here. Um, there isn't really much to say about that Grey Cup in general. I would say, quite frankly, um, I remember after the game, I went up to uh, Steve Milton of the Spec, and I was like, "So, what's the story here?" Rather than, "Hey, you got your ass kicked." Right, <laughs> right, right. You know, that's pretty much all there was to say about that Grey Cup. But but the funny thing is, is as much as like, and and I can tell you, texting before I lost the ability to to with other bomber fans, we're so jaded from twenty nine years of losing that even though objectively, like I remember looking at my father in law, he's like, John, they they have them in the bag, like they're outplaying them. That defense is ferocious. The offense is moving the ball. I'm like doesn't matter if they're going to screw this up they're going to screw this up i need another beer do you need another beer i'm going to have another beer you know what that's great i'm going to have more beer and uh it wasn't until the long incompletion in which the defensive back uh, made made the play swats the ball out right mike jones on mike jones yeah exactly jones on jones violence it wasn't until that that i finally started coming into my head that holy shit this this could be it and I'm sure objectively for – I think you and I are going to have very different views on the game. I felt like Hamilton was in it till the very end. Uh, you as an objective viewer, that's only because I was waiting for Winnipeg to blow it because I'm always yeah. waiting for Winnipeg to blow it. But you as an objective viewer, you probably were you, – you probably have a better breakdown on, on how good that Winnipeg defense was. But yeah, like, I was, here's, here's, I was here's the thing, nervous like, till the end. Yeah, like I get it from a Bomber fan perspective. I think partway through the third quarter or so, I was pretty convinced that Winnipeg was going to win that game. Um, I don't remember exactly when it was in the game, but it was kind of like like the Corey Sheets stiff arm run when Andrew Harris picked up that second and 17 or whatever it was on the ground. I was like, okay, yeah, this yeah. is over. This is over. There was, there, was, yeah. there was no point really in playing out the rest of that game. Um, what should have happened, though, and we've seen it a thousand times before, was... So, yeah, the Bombers created all those turnovers in the first half. And they only had, for the most part, only had a five-point lead to show for it. That uh. was that was the script for what should have been a Hamilton, you know, team that flips, flips the switch in the second half and goes on to win. And it just, right. ne- just never materialized. Winnipeg got away with it in a big time in the first half there. But, I mean, credit to their defense. They got the job done. And, you know, unlike maybe some other championship games in football where one game anything can happen... You know, yeah, one thing could happen in this game too, the supposed non-favorite one, but there was clear definitive evidence that they were the better football team that day, and that's really all you can say about that. Yeah, no, and and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I think, uh, and I think that's why I have that impending sense of doom, because you and I have texted about this countless times, whether it's NFL games, whether it's CFL games, whether it's college games. We've often talked privately about the fact that you can't be settling for field goals, right? You can't have all this momentum and settle for field goals. And my overwhelming thought was, oh, shit, the thing Joel and I always text about is going to happen here, and it's going to be doom. And uh, then it didn't. So, uh, yeah, I was, I, was, I was happy drunk, even though I was prepared for sad drunk. <laughs> Uh, I think the, the, what helped Winnipeg was the fact they were up against another team that has also had a very long championship drought. Yeah, certainly. And, so someone had to overcome it, and of course, it's it would ended up being Winnipeg. So, well, and I think too, a lot of that speaks to the road that the Bombers took in the playoffs. 
and basically their entire season. And I think there was, yeah. there was certainly, you know, Hamilton basically had an easy run through the entire season for the most part. Sure, yeah, they lost they lost Mazzoli early, and those going to be yep. interesting decisions that have to be made there now. But for the most part, even once they found out the date Evans was still pretty good, yeah, I mean they had it pretty easy. They didn't really face really any adversity at all until that game, and they just right. weren't ready for it. While Winnipeg, I mean, we left them for dead like eight weeks ago. So yeah, when, Matt, <laughs> when when Matt Nichols went down and Chris Trevler, uh, who comes up with like. Well, and then I they lost and... a bunch of games in a row, and it looked like the wheels were falling off. And if it wasn't if it wasn't for BC, they probably would have missed the playoffs and this whole thing. And now it's yeah, oh, now they're champions. So yeah, I mean, I mean, if that if that doesn't speak to the CFL, I, I I don't know what does. But I was having this debate at work, and in recent memory, is the Zach Caleros trade perhaps the most impactful trade deadline move in in recent CFL history? Well, there's only one of like four that's happened in the last five years. So I mean, well, but, well, that's it. But I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, the writer right traded I... for Alex Hall in 2013, but I mean, he was good, but he wasn't obviously the difference as to why they won that game. No, it, it, exactly, and, and and I mean, all Zach Caleros did, and, and Zach Caleros, I mean, that was the Andrew Harris show. They, oh, yeah. Paul Apolis had designed some. If you read the the stats from from Derek Taylor that he talks about the number of times that Andrew Harris was targeted ten, more than ten yards downfield, the times that Chris Trevler had thrown more than ten yards downfield, like the numbers you look at, basically Paul Apolis went, "All right, so we're going to run the shit out of it and do a bunch of weird stuff that you've never seen before, and let's oh, go it was party time." Can, can we talk about Paul Apolis for a second? I know we said there's a yes, lot to talk about this game, but that was an absolute masterpiece by Paul Apolis in that game. Oh. Absolutely it felt like it if if you if you look at his Grey Cup history, you know, being a part of the you know the teams that lost here, being a part of the yeah. team that lost with the Bombers in 2011, you know, mm-hmm. he he's had his demons in this game, and he just put a stamp on the end of that and said, "No, this is my game," and it was just that was just something to like he left nothing in the book in that game. He brought out all the tricks. He brought out everything. And it was just, it was fun to watch Paul Apolis go to work in that game. Well, the, the Streveler reception. I mean, if that's not picked up, like if Hamilton's not in a punt safe spot there, that's probably a touchdown mm-hmm. or at least a very long run. Like the fact that the, 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 the fake two Streveler only resulted in, in a first down and a little bit was it was remarkable i mean that was good recognition by hamilton but but again like and i did i i appreciated the game plan but it wasn't until you got reading into you know some of the things that like i think i i think chris reveler had only thrown six percent of his passes as deep as he did in the touchdown pass and and that they did something very similar that they did in the west final against saskatchewan that chris reveler's first play was a pass Mm mm-hmm his first play was a pass, and it was enough that, okay, yeah, okay, it's a completion. Maybe you're – and they went away from that when they played Saskatchewan. They basically trebled through once, and that was it. And this time it was like, no, he actually legitimately looks like a threat to pass, especially after the – that touchdown pass to Harris changed the game. Because then you're like, oh, shit, he's not only going to pass, he can pass, he's prepared. And him and Harris were able to do every do what they did in that game and – Again, the fact that the, that Zach Caleros and and Matt Nichols through most of the season are just the kind of guys that were like chill enough. Like, there's a lot of egos in a lot of rooms that wouldn't be okay with okay, it's second and three, you're coming out for another guy. The fact that like, <laughs> both, both those guys were cool. <laughs> what? Oh, the fact that both those guys were cool with it is what made it work. Like, it just yeah, that was a masterpiece of coaching by and. 
to his credit as well, because he's a guy that's got the shit beat out of him by the Winnipeg fans and media to a degree. Mm-hmm. Richie Hall. Yep. That game plan against Hamilton, too. I mean, I know they had the benefit of losing, uh, you know, a hit takes out Brandon Banks. But the absolute, like, Hamilton's O-line is real good. And they had pressure on Dane Evans the entire game, no matter what Hamilton threw at them. So yeah. it was it was really a masterpiece in coaching by that entire Winnipeg staff. Yeah, I, I mean, you picked up pretty early that Willie Jefferson was going to have one of those games. And if that was going to happen, you knew it was going to be a long day for the Hamilton offense. <laughs> I had a feeling of that. I was watching, because I guess T- TSN, when they're like, oh, yeah, kickoff's at 5, and so I've got the family ready. We're all in the basement. It's 5 o'clock. It's always, it's, always, it's always 5.40. I know, but it's still like, and they were going <laughs> through like, which is funny because they advertised 5, and then they did this yeah, thing yeah. pregame where every analyst kind of broke down a couple of players, and I think yeah. it was Milt that said, oh, yeah, Willie Jefferson has been kind of quiet here throughout the postseason, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Jefferson's going to ball out. Like, you just you just kind of saw it coming. Like, it just, oh. It's funny, bringing, talking about all this, Joel, and I know we've rambled on too long about the game that we, that we planned on, but <laughs> joy in discussing this that you're right. It's taken me a week to verbalize and put together these thoughts that, holy, holy shit, it finally happened. Like, it's just, it's... It's bringing back so many good vibes to talk about it. I'm sorry if I'm 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 going on a little bit longer than we probably intended to. Yeah, it's all good. Um, so yeah, in this episode, uh, we are going to talk about uh, these uh, Lucia's Purifoy signing. We're going to get into a little bit about uh, one-year contracts as uh, Jeremy O'Day held a bit of an availability this week uh, to kind of do a bit of a little bit of an off-season primer, a little bit, a few little topics that came out of that one. I really like the way he talked about the one-year contracts. We're going to get into that a little bit. And then, of course, uh, the ongoing saga that is, at least externally, the saga that is uh, Stephen McAdoo and what may or may not happen with him. Uh, but, of course, as usual, even though we're halfway through this episode already, uh, John, <laughs> before we get to all that, what's in the glass this week? Well, the first one I've already finished, because talking about a bomber gray cup just makes me want to drink, uh, is a Blackbridge Wheat Burst Fruity Hoppy Unfiltered uh, it's on the can, and it's about the best description of it. And now just, uh, you know, number two, uh, just an easy drinking. They were on sale today at the Sobeys Liquor Store. Uh, just a great Western classic. So, you know, uh, smoothie, easy drinking lager to go to for my second beer. And, hey, we'll, we'll see how this goes. You might hear me get up, leave my bedroom, go silent for a few minutes, and grab a third beer, depending, uh, you know, how good the podcast goes. <laughs> uh, hopefully not too long, because that's difficult to have a conversation with myself. That's fair. <laughs> uh, for me, uh, new to the store at Happy Hour, it's uh, Persephone Brewing out of BC. Uh, they have a dry Irish stout. Uh, just think like Guinness, but fresh, basically, is the easiest way to describe it. So not half bog water. No, like Guinness, if you have it in Ireland, it's really, really good. Like, it's fine here. If you go to Ireland, like, it's really good because it's fresh, right? That makes such a big difference. So it's basically along those same lines. Not a whole lot of those kind of, you know, not a whole lot of people try to compete with Guinness on that front, like a lot of different stouts, but not necessarily that style. So, uh, right. This is a nice little alternative to uh, Guinness if that's something that you are interested in. Hmm. Yeah. So I personally, uh, wouldn't, you personally, I personally wouldn't. wouldn't be. No. No, fair. I'm not. I'm not a stout guy. Uh, I just I tried, and I haven't had a Night Viper the other night, and it wasn't my jam. Just stouts are just not my jam. But I know you enjoy them, so. Yes, every once in a while. Like, I'm not, like, crazy. I'm like, I need to drink dark beers every night. Like, no, like, it's every once in a while. And slash, 
pretty much everything that's new that we get, I kind of try just for the sake of trying it. So that's fair. That makes you a great employee. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, also, a great employee is uh, Lucia's Purifoy for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, as he signed a two-year extension with the club, which was yeah. a little, little nice little interesting tidbit for that. Um, and it was, I think, the perfect signing to launch the the off season or the business season, as uh, Randy, as the commissioner likes to call it, because I think this this is a quietly a very important signing for this club because it's I think mm, it's pretty obvious. Much so other than to the CFLPA for some reason, that Lucia's Purifoy was probably, in all likelihood, the best defensive back for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in 2019. Yes. And, yeah, he doesn't have numbers. It's, and he doesn't have numbers, really, because no one threw at him. It's kind of like back in the, you know, the 12, 13, 14 days, Terrell Mays never had numbers because no one threw at him. That's yep. basically what this feels like to me. And then you add on top of that, the guy, you know, he, he as Jeremy O'Day noted at his press conference this week, you know, he plays corner, he plays half, he plays safety, he plays Sam. Oh, and he returns kicks pretty well, too. So, <laughs> this is yeah. a guy, this is a Swiss Army guy, you know, we're just waiting for him to line up on offense at the same time. Maybe he'll be the third-string quarterback next year with the new rules, who knows. And, <laughs> yeah, this was just a perfect signing to launch the offseason to show that, you know, this is an important part of our team because I think early on, those early signings kind of show you really who is really at the top of their list. And this yeah. guy was definitely at the top of their list, as he should have been. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Joel. He's one of those guys that if, if you look at the stat sheet, you're going to go, oh, nothing to this stands out. But if you watch the games and you listen to the games, uh, you're right. He's team's game plan to not throw at him. He's on the field. Whoever he's shutting down in the defensive backfield, whatever receiver he's shutting down, is not going to have a very good game. And you just know that's part of it. Huge, huge signing here by the Riders heading into a, 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 a hopefully great cup year. I mean, he was kind of an outside – there was some outside discussion about him possibly giving the NFL a shot with his versatility and speed and things like that. So good thing that they got him locked up. Yeah, I think he's at, he's at the he's at the point in his career where he just wants to play. I don't think there's anything – you know, is it worth going down to the NFL at this point for him at his age to be just a camp body, which essentially most of them are? Probably not. Right. I, like Willie Jefferson felt the same way when he resigned here the first time and then went on to Winnipeg. Like it's like I've done that, been there, done that. I tried. It's just it's not worth it anymore. And I, you know, I'll be interesting to see if that sort of feeling starts to come around more and more. Like obviously, guys who are younger and guys are going to take their shot as they should. But the number of guys still that go south and stick is so minimal compared to the number of guys going to camps right now just because of the new camp body rules where there's like you right. basically have 90 players on the roster till the end of camp. So unfortunately, a lot of these guys, and we talk about this every year, are just there to be camp bodies and they're cut at the end and the team really doesn't care about them. No, and so right. if you know you're in a spot where, okay, you're, you're, you're a top defensive back in this league, you work really well with your teammates and the system you're currently in, Okay, yeah, you're not you don't have you're not going to the NFL. There isn't the three percent chance that you're gonna have an opportunity to make millions of dollars. But you know what? You're still doing decent. You're doing okay for you know for what you do. And there's always opportunity to make more money in Saskatchewan. So Yes. There's it just makes sense on a lot of levels, I think, for Luchias to just to make that move. And it's good works for both sides. And it was it was the perfect signing, and we'll, we'll it'll be interesting to see where this list goes from here. Because in that press conference, Jeremy O'Day was talking, was asked about if he thought the list was daunting, and he was like, "No, I mean, 
he basically played it off as it is what it is. He got asked about a few of the hot topics around the league right now where some, you know, management types and coaching types haven't been afraid to share their opinion. He seems very much in the opinion of the rules are whatever they are, and I'm just going to make it work whichever way it works. And what I thought was interesting when he's talking about the free agent list and how long it was, like 35 players or something roughly is what the rider list is. He's yeah. like, I was like, I haven't counted them yet. I haven't looked that closely. We're just kind of going through a roster and deciding who we want to bring back, whether they're a free agent or not at this point. And, he's, and if they happen to be free agent, then okay, we'll start talking to them. And if they're not, then it's cool. But if there's a guy, and so he's kind of whittling down the list like any good GM would at this point, where it's, okay, we're looking at the roster as a whole. Who do we want, regardless of what their current status is? I think that's that's just that's that's a good way of looking at it. Well, and, and certainly, especially in in the CFL, where we are going to get into in a minute, where you do have the double edged sword of the fact that you can cut a guy without essentially any repercussions at this point in the season, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it works well for the team that is looking through their depth chart, and you can even have somebody signed to a lifetime contract. But the way the CFL goes, you could just go right ahead and and let them go right now and not have to face any consequences, right? So mm-hmm. it's uh. It is a very smart way of looking at the team. Uh, I, I enjoy the fact that, uh, you know, he's just looking at everything as a whole. And, I mean, they are talking about sustained success. But, you mm-hmm. know, you, me, and the fence post know that there is going to be – there might be a decision or two that changes this year that they might not normally make. Because, of course, with, you know, the Grey Cup next year being there in Regina. Yeah, I, I don't know about that. Like, I – I put it in the piece where I wrote off that press conference where you're right. There could be a few decisions they wouldn't normally make, but I'm not expecting it to be quite as extravagant as we saw in 2013. Oh God. They're not going to go out and bring in the equivalents of G Roy Simon and Ricky Foley and George Cortez and, you know, spend over the cap and do all these things. I think they're going to go about it like they would any other year. But if there is an opportunity to make a move, maybe they wouldn't normally for, maybe some extra depth for maybe another, you know, just this, that, and the other thing. Sure, they might look into it a little differently, but I don't think it's going to dramatically change the way Jeremy O'Day and Craig Dickinson are going to approach their business. No, you're absolutely right. I, I And I think I, I think this will be a cap, if not over the cap team, um, because you're right, there will be, they, they are going to look, they are going to want depth. Uh, in many spots, which this team already has. I mean, just honestly, just keeping this 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 team together right now. If you re-signed everybody that that you know was essential to this club, that's a free agent, you're probably going to be at, if not over the cap, right now. Um, mm-hmm. The big advantage that this team has has going for it in free agency, though, is you have Bolivar by Mitchell making eight hundred some G out in Calgary. Trevor Harris is probably in the mid sixes. You got Mike Riley making 800 and some G in BC. You got Cody Fajardo making roughly, what, 400 next year? Yeah, somewhere in the fours. So somewhere in the fours, maybe fives with performance bonuses. That's the most important position on your team is locked up at a discount. That allows you to distribute the rest of that money someplace else to keep the core of this team together. So, yeah, no matter what decisions they're going to make, I think they are going to have the ability to make those decisions because they have financial flexibility. And I, I'm with you, Joel. It's 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 not – they're not going to do what they did in 2013 and completely mortgage the future. But I look at a guy like – you keep Ed Ganey around. He didn't have his best year, but he's a veteran guy. Maybe he's a guy that you keep around because you're going to – you are hosting that game next November. 
I mean, you have I, you and I have talked about Ed in the past. I, to me, it kind of feels like the writing's on the wall. I guess we'll have to see. Um, I guess it depends on how they want to approach it. He could be back for camp, but does he make it out of camp? I don't know. I guess it depends on how they feel about how, you know the talent they scout over this winter and how they get into that. I think there's going to be a few veterans that aren't back next year. That's just the nature of the game. And, you know, I, I, I don't foresee them doing anything overly drastic, anything different. So, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know the answer to that question at this point. But it is a question that's going to be coming up every year now because, you know, it's been a hot topic across the league this year, is the one-year contract. And right. Jeremy O'Day, I think, answered it very well when he said, when he was asked about his thoughts on it, basically, and he said... Well, yeah, okay, yeah, you get there's a lot of free agents every year, and it's difficult to kind of build a core together. But at the same time, if you know you need to make a drastic change to your roster, it's pretty easy to do that too now. Which I think, right. you, So you get both sides of it, and to me, as you know, specifically Dave Dickinson has come out and said he doesn't like them, and I get why. Obviously, from a fan perspective, I get it. You want a good core together for a while so you can connect with them and the franchise and the whole thing. I understand that, and I understand why that's important. Let's make that perfectly clear but when the teams come out and they're saying that you know people within teams and you know either whether they're talking anonymously or they're out in the open saying it that they don't like the one-year contract it's like well there's an easy fix to this because the only reason they don't like the one-year contract is because the players have basically taken some of the control away from them because they always controlled everything about the players because they could get cut at a moment's notice and they didn't owe them jack essentially, unless you were a veteran after Labor Day. They didn't know you jack. And now that's gone. That Right now at this moment, that is gone. The players have actually gained a little bit of power through this because what was supposed to be an opportunity for them to go to the NFL, the players have smartly figured out. It's like, wait a minute, why should I sign long-term if I'm not getting anything guaranteed? So I'm just going to go year by year. And Solomon Elamimian said it at the CFLPA State of the League, at the State of the Union, I guess, at Grey Cup Week, where I said, you know, basically an easy solution to this is make, you know, let's go down the route, the NFL, and let's guarantee some money. So if I'm guaranteed X percentage of my contract every year, okay, then for the duration of the deal, then okay, I'll sign a three-year deal with you, knowing I'm guaranteed to get at least $100,000 out of the deal. No, and and you're absolutely right. Well, and and I don't think that's, I don't think that's an unfair compromise. No, it's it's not like they're out here clamoring for the NHL or the NBA where, contracts are fully guaranteed they understand the fluidity and how football is different in that regard though you can make the argument maybe it shouldn't be but that's a whole other issue the point remains how football is and that's how the sport has always been run but even in the nfl yeah more and more guys are making sure they're getting their money and if the cfl wants the players to feel like they should be loyal to the team then there needs to be some repro- there needs to be some quid pro quo to use a word that's been in the news lately. The other way, <laughs> no, no phone calls absolute... to Ukraine on this one though. That that's right. No, <laughs> <laughs> we record everything we say and publish it. Don't worry, no secret servers for us. I think right now, if you're an owner or you're a team manager, you're also looking at marketability concerns. Like, you know, how can how can you market like? your superstar players when for the vast majority of them, they're gone by the next year or have an opportunity to be gone by the next year. Right? Like we all know that there's certain guys that are more than likely going to stick around, but like Winnipeg's best player last year and Willie Jefferson is on a one year deal. Yeah. And now, now he's got his ring and he he's, I think he's within his right. I think he's going to chase the money this time. And why shouldn't he? 
He went to Winnipeg. So, so right. and he went to Winnipeg because he wanted to win. He got a pretty good deal, but the word is there might have been better deals on the table for him. But he went to Winnipeg because he wanted yeah. to win. So now yeah. that he's got the win, now he's coming for the coin. Yeah, no, 100%. And as every guy should. I mean, mm-hmm. football careers are so short, especially in the CFL, where we're not talking about you're not going to be set for life. If you're lucky and you're smart in the CFL, you might be able to have a down a down payment on a nice house, right? Like, yeah. it, and I, I can't blame guys. And I would, I'm a big advocate of the players getting more guaranteed money. I, mm-hmm. I absolutely think it should happen. I think the fact that football culture has these non-guaranteed contracts and the most physical sport that's out there in terms of the, the major professional sports it's it's silly like you have more guarantees in pro lacrosse than you do in the cfl right now like it's ridiculous so um i to me i and, and i agree with you wholeheartedly i agree with what solomon alamimian also said like yeah put a little bit of dough if you're going if you it's fine here's a three-year contract 50 percent of it's guaranteed 25 percent of it's guaranteed at least then guys will stick around at least teams you know will have to make decisions they'll maybe they'll allow an injured guy to come back to camp that has a chance to prove himself and work his way back in the lineup because he's on that you know there, there are cap repercussions rather than just letting them all go right so i'm very much on the player side on this one yeah i think that's that's a very easy solution to this and it's obviously up to the league and the players to uh, sit down and figure it out. Another guy who apparently is not under contract for the 2020 season is everyone's favorite offensive coordinator Stephen McAdoo. Uh the news on 3 Down Nation this week that yeah, no one besides Craig Dickinson has a contract and at least in terms of the coaching ranks for the Riders which isn't highly unusual in the CFL. Uh below right. below the coordinators a lot of them sign one-year deals consistently. So there's I don't think that's really of the ordinary. Um, the fact that they didn't re-up or they didn't extend any of the coordinators after the coaching change, I don't think should be too much of a surprise because I'm sure eventually right. Craig was wanted to see how it went with them. And then he was going to make a decision on who his guys are going to be. Um, I think it's pretty clear at this point that they should be getting Jason Shivers back. He should be back as defensive coordinator. Uh, there's no real reason for a change there unless he wants to go explore other opportunities. We don't know, but in right. all likelihood you'd expect him to be back as usual. The lightning rod continues to be on offense and the reaction online to word that the Ottawa Red Blacks, who are interviewing everyone and their dog for their head coaching position, <laughs> also have talked to Stephen McAdoo, who does have a relationship with Marcel Desjardins from their days in Montreal, about their head coaching position. And of course, the, the natural reaction from a lot of people was, good luck, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. <laughs> which which I, I, I do think, and I have been generally pro McAdoo, especially this year, I think that, that you know, you be careful what you wish for, Ryder fans. Unless somebody else is out there that you know is going to take this team's offense to another level, the personnel that they have there. Let's face it. Like, when Steve McAdoo has a quarterback that he trusts, when he has Kevin Glenn, when he has Cody Fajardo, that offense can do good things. I'm not – they're by no means – the best offense you've ever seen, but it is nothing like last year when he clearly had no trust in Brandon Bridge and Zach Caleros, and it was nothing but hitches and screens because he didn't think his quarterbacks could do the job that he needed them to do, right? So if you look when he has a quarterback he likes, they do good things. And unless unless you're getting somebody who's a bigger name, it's hard to argue with keeping him around with the success the Riders had this year. Well, we'll get into the, one of those points in a second there, but I think... 
to me, I don't know if Stephen McAdoo's offense is a, one that's going to get you over the hump. I think we've seen in two playoff games here, and we talked about this last time, the same issues basically surfaced. I I just I don't think his he might be a good coach in a lot of regards. He might be one of those guys that might end up being a better head coach than a better coordinator. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I just I just don't think he's strategically there. I just don't know if the play calling is good enough. And I know at least on a few occasions in that game. A guy who agrees with me, and the the clip made one clip made it on the TSN wired after the sneak. Cody Fajardo comes back to the sideline and says, "I hate that call." <laughs> I so, haven't seen that. Yeah, so that made it there, and apparently, we the guy who cuts all that up says there was a few other times there might have been um, a time where Fajardo and I'm sure you know what we're probably reading through a little bit too much because I'm sure that happens all the time. Like this isn't this isn't like some breaking news that player and coach don't always agree on every decision. I'm sure they get along fine. But as a little it is a little bit of an interesting twist in this kind of scenario when you think of Cody Fajardo like that. Um right. Yeah, cuz 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 you you'd largely think that Cody Fajardo would be, you know, a McAdoo guy or a McAdoo supporter considering the fact that he basically made his career what it is. Mm-hmm. Huh. And like I I don't disagree with you in in fully. I think I think this team could benefit from an upgraded offensive coordinator and it might mean getting creative and really doing your research on some guys and maybe there's a guy somewhere down the ranks who is ready, who you know can be a guy. And there's another guy on the market right now and I know this gonna, you know, a lot of people are going to laugh about it, but I mean, Jason Moss is out there. He is, yep. And say what you want, we've said a lot about him as a head coach on this program. He is still one hell of an offensive coordinator. I think at this point it's pretty clear he's not head coach material, but he is yes. still a damn good offensive coordinator. And if you're going to make a change, it might be worth the conversation if that's something Jason would be interested in. Well, I, I don't think he's going to get a sniff as a as a head coach. He shouldn't. I no, mean, I, I, his name hasn't popped up in BC or Ottawa yet. So, and, and, and as you said, I mean Ottawa is 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 looking and talking to. And Ottawa knows them. Ottawa's had him on their staff before, so I mean, <laughs> right? And 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 they're the team that's not talking to him. So, what up with that to a degree? So, I would, I'd love to see it because you know, because the only thing I would hate with the Steve Ma- with the Steve McAdoo hate, or getting rid of him, I'm not totally against getting rid of him, but you need to know that you're upgrading, mm-hmm. and. Moss is obviously an upgrade. So I would very much be a fan of that move. Um, I know it would be a lateral move, so I don't know if you get, like, there's some talk about Ryan Dinwiddie maybe going elsewhere out of Calgary, like, you know. Well, he was in the, he was, may- Ottawa was talking to him even, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was talking I guess, to him. I guess they, know, they need an OC too, don't they, though, because they did that whole weird thing by committee last year. Oh. oh, that's right. Yeah, no, they, <laughs> yeah, they did that strange thing. Well, an- another name, and here's and here's an interesting one for you is Buck Pierce in Winnipeg. Buck Pierce right now is the quarterback's coach and assistant offensive coordinator, right? So, mm-hmm. And he's learned from wanted... a pretty good guy the last few years. Well, that's exactly it. He's he's played for La Police. He's now been La Police's assistant and QB coach. There's a guy that, you know, I, I think it all comes down to what happens with La Police in Winnipeg, whether he stays or whether he goes. But if La Police stays... To me, Buck Pierce is a guy you'd at least want to have a conversation with about, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that, hey, you're looking for a promotion. Here's an OC job for you. 
And I can tell you that, you know, Buck Pierce fits that Craig Dickinson, all-around good guy, chill human kind of personality role that, you know, he seems to want to strive to have on his team. Yeah, I I think that's fair. And he also, I think, would meld well with his quarterback in terms of personality because there are, in terms of the way they play, I think some similarities to their sort of, you know, their daring nature and their kind of win-at-all-costs kind of attitude, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and then with some of the pieces that, that the Riders have on offense, like the ability to get creative, which Paul Lapolis is, is famous for, and we, you know, talked about it here in the Grey Cup. Even just simple you know. things like properly using your running back? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. What a concept. What a concept. You got a guy that runs for over a thousand yards and you use him in the biggest game of the season. Huh. Funny Weird. how that works. is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around 200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash i'm downloading the upside app now download the free upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas use promo code car for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank you can cash out anytime right to your bank account paypal or a gift card for amazon and other brands just download the free upside app and use promo code car for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank that's code car catch those springtime vibes all over arizona Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure.